Uh, we've been in Isaiah a few weeks now in this very chapter and on these uh, verses, and we were last time looking at uh, these names of the Lord from Isaiah 9-6, and so we're going to touch on that again, maybe not as in as much detail as we were last time, but I want to take you back uh, to what the prophets say and tie that with our New Testament. Long before the first Christmas, that is, the day that Jesus was born, the Lord had foretold numerous details of just how and where it would happen. The author of Hebrews put it like this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. One of the main prophets that he was referring to is Isaiah. We've already studied Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then we've been camping on this Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us, us a son is given. And we've devoted the last two sermons uh, to this verse. But Isaiah revealed that the birth of the Messiah would be miraculous and that he would be identified as the Son of God. And so Isaiah made that clear. It would be a miracle birth and that this one to be born would be both human and God. Now, as New Testament believers, we know this, and we almost take these truths for granted. But I, again, I want to encourage you to stop and think how incredible these truths would have been coming to the minds and hearts of those who lived during the times of Isaiah, the 8th century B.C., and so Isaiah did reveal the birth of the Messiah. It would be miraculous, and he would be the Son of God. He went on to say he would occupy David's throne, and that his kingdom would continue to increase in size and last forever. It would have no end. One of Isaiah's contemporaries, Micah, wrote in Micah 5.2 about the place where Jesus would be born. Bethlehem. And we, we know that to be true. Um, Isaiah gave some more information later on about Messiah, referring to him as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. But did you notice the prophets did not tell one detail that would be very interesting to everyone? What was it that the prophets did not tell about the birth of Messiah? When? The time. Wouldn't you want to know when it's going to happen? It's going to happen. It's going to be a miracle. He's going to be with us. He's going to be God. His names are going to be wonderful. But we're not telling you when. <laughs> Have you noticed the Lord has done that again to us? I'm going to come again. When? You're not going to know the time or the season. I'm going to come at the perfect time but you don't know when. The time of Messiah's birth was not revealed in the Old Testament. In fact, and we even sang about it today, long after the prophets had gone silent for 400 years, 
It was not until the New Testament time that God sent his angel, Gabriel, at least Gabriel's one of the ones uh, in, in the New Testament accounts, a couple of the accounts, he's, the angel's not named. Maybe it was Gabriel the whole way through, I don't know. But we do know that God tapped an angel to make the initial announcement to Mary and then to the others. With the announcement came a further emphasis, latent in the Old Testament, but plain in the New Testament. And it's such a simple message. A Savior is born. And you might say, well, Pastor, we, we know that. But again, I want you to think of the progression here for a moment of what was said. It's going to be a miraculous birth. A virgin will conceive. And God will be with us. He's going to be among us. And even though we know that means he'll be God, the emphasis is really about his humanity in Isaiah 7.14. But it wasn't clearly said about Jesus being the Savior. Oh, it was there, and you know, Isaiah 53 mentions how he's going to die for our sins, but it wasn't plain as it could have been. Not until the angels came and emphasized again and again and again, his name will be what? Jesus, Yeshua, Jehovah saves. The equivalent of Joshua brought over into the New Testament through the Greek language. And so today I want to look once again at Isaiah's prophecies. We're going to look at Isaiah 7:14 and Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 and compare them to their fulfillment in the New Testament. You see, the prophets revealed that Messiah would be the eternal king of the eternal kingdom, and therefore he would be God with us, Emmanuel. But God required an angel to announce the when. And you know when the angel said? Today. <laughs> That's how much warning they, he gave. Today there is born to you a Savior in the city of David. Told the, the shepherds, go and look. So this is where we're headed this morning. Number one. Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth was confirmed by the angel of the Lord, spoken in Isaiah 7.14, confirmed in Matthew 1.23. Secondly, Isaiah's prophecy of the eternal throne of David, which is very important, was confirmed by the angel Gabriel to Mary. What was said in Isaiah 9.7, which we kind of maybe don't emphasize as much as 9.6, but in Isaiah 9-7, the very words are confirmed to Mary by Gabriel in Luke 1. And then thirdly, Isaiah's prophecy of the Son of God was confirmed by an angel of the Lord to be the Savior. To make it very plain, he's not only going to be God with us, it's not only going to be miraculous, it's not only going to be wonderful, he's not only going to sit on the throne, but he's going to come to save us. He's going to come to take away our sin problem, which is the big problem of life today and everywhere we turn. He came to be our Savior. And so, if you're in Isaiah, let's go back to chapter 7, verse 14 one more time. 
Let's see what it says. And I'm going to review a couple of thoughts. <clears throat> Let's pick up with Isaiah 7.10 for the moment. Again, the word that the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore... The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted." Now, I'm not going to go back and restudy this passage. We spent quite a long t- amount of effort on that, on that verse, those, that section. But what I want to remind you of is there are seven facts about this great messianic sign given in Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 is the sign of the virgin birth, right? And we all know that. But I just want to remind you seven things that come out of that Isaiah passage. First of all, it's divinely given. God himself gave the sign. It came through a prophet, but it was God speaking, this is what I'm going to do. Secondly, it was given to the house of David, not to King Ahaz. Remember, he offered to King Ahaz, I'll confirm that I'm going to save you from your enemies. Just ask for a sign, miracle. I'll do it for you. Ahaz said, oh no, I couldn't do that. He was acting very pious while he was worshiping other gods and leading his people away from Yahweh. And so he refused the word of God. So God said, okay, you won't ask for a sign? I'll give you a sign. And I'm going to give it not to you, Ahaz, but to the whole house of Judah, a virgin shall conceive. No one has ever heard this before. No one had ever thought that thought before. This had never happened. This, this defied God's uh, rules of, of creation. But it was given to the house of David. And it, obviously it involved a miracle implied by the offer as deep as Sheol, high as heaven. A fourth point about that Isaiah passage is that the word for virgin, Alma, is a very special word. It's only used seven times in the Old Testament. It always means virgin. The essence of the word is to hide or to conceal. The Septuagint chose the word parthenos from the Greek language to translate alma, to make it clear, because in parthenos, that word can only mean virgin, not just a young woman. We saw, fifthly, that the very name Emmanuel, meaning with us God, really emphasizes his humanity more than his deity. The point is, in Hebrew, it's with us God. In other words, he's going to be human with us. He's going to be like us. He's going to walk among us. Later on in chapter 53, he won't even look special. He'll look ordinary, right? A sixth point from Isaiah 7.14 is that this is not an isolated prophecy. It reaches all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, the seed of the woman, goes all the way through the prophets, all the way to the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 2. 
And so there's this series of prophecies about the Messiah, and 714 of Isaiah is just one link in the chain. And then finally, and again, I'm reviewing what we studied some weeks back. Although the Messiah would be God, he would be human, and the idea of him eating curds and honey, milk for a baby, those kinds of things kind of blurred into the thing about Isaiah's own sons and so on. But the point being, he would be God and human. So that's what we learned from Isaiah 7.14. But let's go back to Matthew. And that's where we started our um, scripture reading. And I'll take you back to Matthew chapter 1, just for a few moments. We're going to go back and forth, okay? But God gave the sign of the virgin birth to the house of David. Did you get that point? Did you hear that when we were talking about it from Isaiah? It wasn't to Ahaz. He offered it to Ahaz. He's the king. He was the king. Ahaz said no. So he said, okay, this is for the whole house of David. Now notice what Matthew, how he begins his gospel. Did you notice chapter 1, verse 1? We didn't read this part. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, what's the next phrase? The son of David. Okay? So that's how Matthew starts off his gospel, which was presented to the Jewish people as the good news of the gospel and specifically targeting Jewish people. And he says, here is the family line of Jesus Christ who is son of David, meaning royal and heir to the throne. And he goes through this genealogy in the first 17 verses. Some years ago, I preached a sermon on the genealogy, and I really loved it. I don't know if anybody else did, but I really loved it. You know, and I was looking at my notes. Should I do that again? No, not this time. But, but, you know, all those names. I used to read these genealogies and think, oh, you know, this is kind of boring. It's not boring. You start noticing these names and you find different things in there. The different ladies that are included in this genealogy. And I, it's just great. You've got to read that part. Don't skip that part. But I guess I'm going to skip it right now. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but going right to verse 18, it says... Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, see how this connects. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the Christmas story. Mary, while betrothed to Joseph, was found to be with child. It was a miracle. The Holy Spirit did it. It wasn't the normal way. And verse 19 says that Joseph didn't know. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He thought she had been unfaithful, so he thought, well, the right thing to do is a divorce. But here comes the angel in verse 20. What does it say in verse 20? But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. What? Son of David? Did you hear that? Joseph, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, this is the Christmas story. The angel tells Joseph in a dream, this is a miracle. This is something God did. 
This is amazing. No one's ever done this before. Before, never do it again. And he doesn't stop there in verse 21. This is the angel in a dream. Verse 21. She will bear a son. And you, Joseph, it's second person singular, you, Joseph, will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. He said to Joseph, you're going to call his name because you are going to be his human legal father. Although not biological, because you're son of David, you're going to have the authority to say his name. Now I know the prophet said that the virgin would call his name that, and Mary did as well. So they both did. They both named him Jesus together. But here the angel tells Joseph to do this, and this is part of the royal lineage and the right to the throne through Joseph. Now we already know that Luke gives the genealogy of Mary through Nathan, avoids the curse of, on Jeconiah. We've been through all those things in the past many times. But So you've got these two genealogies to show the legal right to the throne and the biological right to the throne, right? God has this all figured out. And so Matthew stated the very next verse, and here's our verse from Isaiah, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The passage goes on to say, Joseph obeyed the angel's instruction. He completed the legal aspect of their marriage. He kept Mary a virgin until after Jesus was born. And Joseph called his name Jesus. What a great fulfillment of that little passage back in Isaiah. Isn't it great? You know, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, he just quotes Old Testament on every page. Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. He's speaking to the Jewish people, and he's using their scriptures to show the good news of Jesus. So, Matthew confirmed the virgin birth prophecy. Okay? Simple as that. But we're not done yet. Notice, secondly, we want to go back to Isaiah now and look not at Isaiah 9.6, but at Isaiah 9.7. Remember last week we spent our whole time on Isaiah 9.6. But I want you to turn back to Isaiah 9.7 now as we see, secondly, Isaiah's prophecy of the eternal throne of David. If 7.14 is about the virgin birth, 9.7 is about the throne. Okay, can you see that? 7.14, virgin birth. Isaiah 9-7, the throne of David. How important is this? Well, let's look at, again, what did Isaiah say in Isaiah 9-7? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this? Do you see how powerful this passage is? Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would establish the eternal throne of David. Now we've been studying in the adult class, John teaching us about the Davidic covenant. We've just been covering that in 2 Samuel 7, right? Well, Isaiah brings back what was said you know, David lived 1,000 B.C., so now you got Isaiah 730-ish B.C. 
almost 300 years, you know, between those two time frames. And Isaiah is, again, bringing back what was said to David in this prophetic portion as he gives this sign to the whole house of, of David, a reminder of the Davidic covenant. So Isaiah predicted that, in fact, the Messiah would establish the eternal throne of David. This is just confirming what was written back in 2 Samuel 7. The, the things that stand out in this verse are the words, the throne of David and over his kingdom, and the words, forevermore. Five facts from Isaiah 9-7. Number one, Messiah's kingdom of peace will be endless. Now how do I know it's from peace? Because verse 6 says he's prince of peace. And so he's going to have this endless kingdom of peace. That's hard to get your mind around. But that's not all that he says. Secondly, it will constitute the throne of David with a direct descendant of David sitting on the rightful throne of David without any curse and completing all the promises concerning the Davidic covenant. Now again, how did the angel talk to Joseph in the dream? Joseph, you what? Son of David. And here, way back 730 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah is the mouthpiece of God saying, the throne of David and over his kingdom will be established And notice the next thing that it says. His kingdom will be known, this is the third fact, for perfect peace, justice, and righteousness from the time of fulfillment unto eternity future. Now, you know, we read these terms a lot of times and we think, well, this is just so nice. It's phrased so nicely. It's good. I like it. Now let's go on to the next verse. No! We're not going on to the next verse. Because it says justice. Will there be a need for justice in heaven? Will, will, when, we, when, when all of our sins, everything is all dealt with, and we're up in heaven in the eternal state, and there's no sin anymore, judgment's over. Do we need justice then? No, we don't. When we need justice is when things are not right. And things are not going to be right during the kingdom on earth when Jesus reigns on earth over people in their mortal bodies. This is why Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are in the gospel, because it explains those who survive the tribulation period described in chapter 24 and enter the kingdom. And Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are going to enter the kingdom in their mortal bodies, and they are going to reproduce children. And there's going to be a lot of people born for a thousand years. And lifespans are going to be expanded again like they were before Noah's flood. And we will rule and reign with Christ in our glorified bodies. Can you imagine that? There's going to be Christians saved during this era who are in glorified human bodies, mixing and living among People in their mortal body. How do I know this? Because the prophets all talk about the need for justice. He's going to rule with an iron hand. He doesn't need to rule with an iron hand in the eternal state. There's no sin there. You see this? 
Anybody seeing this? Or am I the only one seeing this? It says with justice and with righteousness, he's going to establish the kingdom. It's going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to be a real throne, a real kingdom. I can't wait till we get to chapter 19. Did anybody look that up last week? (laughs) Do you see what it says at the end of chapter 19? I'm not going to tell you what it is. You need to see at the end of Isaiah 19, the crazy thing that's said there. Don't look at it right now. (laughs) If you cut that out, you have to wait till later. You write it down, Isaiah 19, Pastor said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's later, that's this afternoon. But, But... I get so excited about this because the Lord is going to fulfill what he said. He's not going to just whitewash this stuff and say, I didn't really mean what I said to Abraham. I didn't really mean what I said to David. I didn't really mean what I said when I'm going to come from my church and snatch it up. He did mean it. He meant it. And he's going to do it. And we need to believe it. The last phrase, if you missed this, of Isaiah 9-7, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I'm trying to exhibit some zeal right now. It doesn't even compare to the Lord. You know, it doesn't even compare to the Lord's zeal. He's going to do this. He's going to do it. And you know, this world is so mixed up right now. We need a Prince of Peace who's going to come and straighten it back up and and get things right. And we're going to see it and you're going to live it. You're going to see it. This is what Christmas is really about. Now, I want to take you back to the New Testament. Did you know that Isaiah 9-7 is in Luke chapter 1? Turn over to Luke 1, if you would. Luke chapter 1. Now remember, this is a great passage. Well, let's, let's start with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, of all places. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's Isaiah 9, 7. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the Christmas story. This is amazing. The angel Gabriel comforts Mary's fear by explaining she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And she's, what? She's a young girl. She doesn't understand. But she knows the scriptures. 
Because when she gives her song later in that chapter, it just shows her mind was filled with Scripture. So in this passage, you notice that the very things of Isaiah 9-7 comes through with the words of the throne of his father David and how of his kingdom there will be no end. Okay, so what we've got so far is uh, Isaiah 7-14, the virgin birth. Isaiah 9-7, the throne of David. We've got one more. And believe it or not, we're going to go back to Isaiah 9-6 now. Go back one more time with me. Yes, I know, this is where we camped out the last few weeks. We're back. Thirdly today, Isaiah's prophecy of the Son of God was confirmed by an angel of the Lord to be the Savior. Now, let's look at Isaiah 9-6 one more time and look very closely. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do we see here? Well, first of all, I want you to know when the angel met the shepherds, the angel had Isaiah 9-6 in his mind. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There is advancement on that statement. First of all, it's a child, but secondly, it's going to be a son, a very special son that's about to be described in spectacular terms. He's going to be a king because the government will be upon his shoulder. He will manifest himself through the ministry of the Holy Spirit because he's going to be a wonderful counselor. And when he goes back, he's going to send the wonderful counselor who's in this room, filling our hearts and minds and opening up the meaning of the text for us. Do you believe that? The wonderful counselor is right here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mighty God, not the normal term. It's not El Shaddai, it's El Gabor. It's mighty warrior and we looked how he's pictured in revelation 19 riding a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth how awesome and scary he's everlasting father like wonderful counselor shares the same essence of the holy spirit he's not the heavenly father but he shares the essence of the heavenly father and he's the everlasting father because he is the alpha and omega who possesses eternity. We could call him the father of eternity because he has everything in his hand. And then he's prince of peace, which becomes the antitype of Solomon, whose name is closely related to the name Shalom. Remember King Solomon? Shalom, peace. Jesus is the prince of Shalom. Sar Shalom. He's the peaceful prince And his peacefulness is explained in Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, and Hosea 2, 18, and Micah 5, 5, and many other passages, which hopefully we'll get to some other time. But I want you to see, unto us a child is born and a son, and this son is God. The son of God has been born. That's what Isaiah 9, 6 says. Now compare that one more time with Luke. And this is where we're going to stop. Luke 2. And I'm going to pick up with verse 8. We're at Luke 2, verse 8. We're comparing Isaiah 9, 6. 
And in that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When we were in Israel, we got to visit the shepherd's field. There's still a field there with no houses on it. It's the shepherd's field. And that area has a lot of caves. Anybody been in a cave lately? I know somebody in the room that has. There are caves. And these are the kind of caves, they're not in the side of a mountain. They're the kind of caves that you go down in the ground. And tight. And I tried to go down there and I couldn't do it. (laughs) Remember that, Gary? But I, I just remember... Man, this is the place. This is the only place it could be. This is the field outside of Bethlehem where the shepherds were. This is it. And here's these caves. And no doubt, Mary and Joseph found a cave where animals were kept. We got to go in the Church of the Nativity. We were very fortunate because for many years, no tourists were allowed to go in there because of political stuff going on. Over the, you know, the church nativity is built over one of those caves in the ground. And I did go down in that thing with about 30 or 40 people down there. <laughs> I did not stay very long. It was like, okay, this is it. That's what they think, you know, I'm looking at it. It was awesome, but it was very tight, you know. So <clears throat> there's three churches built around that thing. Everybody wants to claim a, you know. But somewhere in that area, Jesus was born, and an angel appeared. And just like when the angel appeared to Mary, don't be afraid, they were afraid. But notice what the angel says in verse 11. For unto you. Wait a minute, what does Isaiah 9, 6 say? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. When? doesn't say back in Isaiah. Prophets don't tell. They said, it's going to happen. It's going to be miraculous. It's going to be eternal throne. Micah says it's going to be in Bethlehem. But when? Well, the, the angel was the one who announced. For unto you is born today, this day, in the city of David, a Savior. There's the emphasis that was back there among the prophets, but it wasn't the main thing that they were pointing out. They were pointing out the miraculous and the throne and the place, but now comes the time and the purpose of it all. A Savior who is Christ, Messiah, Mashiach, who is Lord Yahweh, God. Luke confirmed the Messiah is both God and Savior, 
And that is why it's good news with great joy for all the people. Not just the house of David. It's for you, and you, and you, and me, and all of us. He came to be a Savior for all the people. And it was the shepherds who first got to hear that it had finally happened. I'm pretty much figure Mary knew it too. The end of this passage, if we just stop with verse 14, the, with the angels and the shepherds episode, you notice God gets glory and he offers peace to all who would believe. Well, this is what we've been trying to say. Isaiah's prophecy of the virgin birth was confirmed by the angel of the Lord in Matthew 1.23. Secondly, Isaiah's prophecy of the eternal throne was confirmed by the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.30-33. And finally, Isaiah's prophecy of the Son of God was confirmed by an angel of the Lord that he would be our Savior. Here's my principles. Life lessons, whatever you want to call them. I've been calling them principles from the prophet, but today, principles from the incarnation. Number one, do you realize how foundational the doctrine of the virgin birth is? Do you know there are well-known theologians right now who are saying, well, we're reasonably sure it was a virgin birth. What Bible are they reading? (laughs) You know, this troubles me, that there's people who call themselves Christians saying, well, you know, and they want to... They just, they just don't want to take God at his word sometimes. And we need to be aware of that. To deny the virgin birth of Christ is to deny the deity of Christ, as well as the plain declarations of, declarations of Scripture. And so this virgin birth is foundational. Secondly, the literal kingdom of David. There's people that just wipe this away like, well, you know, we're all going to end up in heaven anyway. Isn't that God's kingdom? No, it's not. That's the eternal state. That's the new heaven and the new earth. Read the Bible. It's in the literal kingdom of David, which is yet future, that will eventually merge into the eternal state when the Lord is going to fulfill every promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and the new covenant all together. And it's going to be awesome. And you're going to be there if you know Jesus. And thirdly, what was latent, kind of almost hidden, not quite, but latent in the Old Testament was plainly declared in the New. Today, in the city of David, a Savior is born who is both Messiah and God. What a powerful and life-changing message is this announcement of the birth of Christ. That is why we celebrate Christmas. A Savior is born. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this Christmas I just pray that we would worship you with all that we are, that we would bow before you and praise you for your goodness and grace and mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.